right, welcome. We are live. This is Man Rising. I'm your host, Leonard O'Neill. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, or good morrow, depending on where in the world you are tuning into the show. Okay, it's Monday. I'm not normally live on Monday, but those of you who watched my show last week or the one on Wednesday or the one on the week before that, you know that we were already planning this. I was going to come live once again with you, Kevin Strong, from Australia. There are those of you who are listening on the three file, you can't see any of the images. So we have our alien ancestry, Overseas Ways, Chapter 20, coming up, online conference, coming up on May. The 28th, if you're in the United States, Los Angeles, 4 p.m. Los Angeles time, 7 p.m. New York time. The 29th of May, 7 a.m. Perth time, 9 a.m. Melbourne time. Okay, so you can extrapolate out from that whether, you know, where you are in the world as to when that's going to be live. You can also follow the link, which I will put in the chat to uh, get to yourselves to the link to go and watch this conference live. If you've watched any of my shows in the past, you know that I've spoken on this conference before. I think it was uh, either 13 or 14 or 15, something like that. And we promoted most of them on this show, right? So share this out, share this out, share this out. You can see the overlay on the screen that you can see right now. We have Stephen and Evan Strong and we have uh, TJ, and is it pronounced Consada? Consado, did I say that right? I apologize, I usually check ahead of time. Casado. Casado. Okay, I, I apologize for that. Normally I check ahead of time, but we're, uh, I was running, I was in a conference literally to 20 minutes before we went live. Uh, so we were running a little bit late. I apologize for that. Like I said, guys, share this out, share this out. Welcome to those of you who are in the crowd from around the world. Make sure you say hi to us in one of the chats so we know that you're here. Okay, so let me take down this, uh, this uh, banner here that we have up. And you can see our guests that are here. Look at that. Stephen and Evan Strong are there from Australia. And TJ, you're in Mexico. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah. What part of Mexico are you at? The Yucatan. The Yucatan. Nice. Ah, okay. I've never been there. But I, I've seen images in that whole area, that whole region that makes up Mexico. It's beautiful. Would love to go there one of these days. Hopefully, I will be able to. Okay. So I'm going to stop talking because that's you guys are you guys are used to hearing me when I do my show when I'm just the person speaking, right? And you guys all know that when I'm not the person speaking... I'm the guy who shuts up and just listens, right? <laughs> Stephen and Evan are here. I don't have to do much talking because Stephen will get going, and I can just listen, and I love that. Uh, and, and TJ, I'm sure we're going to work in. I'm sure we're going to get going with everybody here and make sure that everybody besides me gets to have some more words into the conversation. So without any more further uh, junk from me, we're already late for a few minutes going live. Stephen and Evan, uh, please take it away, and then uh, TJ will get you in here, and I'm sure that Steve will work you in, and if not, Evan will, and if he doesn't, I'll make sure to work you in. <laughs> well, that's that's a good start because it's a good chance I'll just talk for the next hour. So someone it's will true. It's so true. Okay, so look, very simply, I'm going to start with, we're going to talk mainly about the conference we're doing. And much to my disappointment, as of yesterday, what I was going to talk about, Evans decided I can't talk about anymore. Yeah, I've made an executive decision. And it came, it came around late last night and said, oh, you're not talking about it. I was going to talk about the truth of magic. I thought I'd just go off into a tangent because I wanted to talk about that. And Evan insisted I have to talk about things from overseas and gave me a few bits of paper. So bear with me if I get this wrong, because it's not what I thought I was doing. I've even got one of them in front of me now. I'm surprised sometimes he actually listens to me. Well, it doesn't happen too often. Don't worry about that. But so what we're going to do, it's quite, we are looking at overseas, and what Evan has decided, made an executive decision, is we're going to look at artefacts found in Australia 
that shouldn't be here and came from overseas and therefore fits better into the conference. I thought so. I thought just doing a rave about magic stuff would fit in pretty well. I could find a way, but anyway. Yeah. And he handed to me a piece of paper, and it's about an ancient skull from New South Wales that could rewrite history. That's the heading, and it's from the Australian Geographic. It's, so it's a legitimate sort of source because we always get attacked for where we get things from. What's fascinating about this story that I'm now going to talk about in a lot more detail than I thought I was. So I did read it this morning, Leonard, so I had no idea what I was going to talk about. It's a skull that was found, and it was found in Australia by the New South Wales police. So come on, boys and girls, it can't be a sort of a plant that someone made up. And the skull is dated at around 1600 or 1500. Now, Mr. Cook came with his mob in 1770, then Philip turned further up with 1788 with about 10 ships and an army. And that was supposed to be the first time that anyone other than the original people could be found in this place. So this skull is not original. They made that clear, haven't they, Evan? Mm -hmm. It's European. And it was found in the 1600s or 1500s. And, of course, that means we've got a problem. But don't worry, ladies and gentlemen. Mainstream have responded very quickly, very quickly, as they always do. When these isolated pieces of information come up, they always make sure they never refer to all the other things they found before dismissed, but they talk about that one thing. And they've decided, well, yes, the police did find it, and yes, it was washed out during the flood, and we're going to tell you another story about that, aren't we? We are. I've got a couple of those. Yeah. And it was washed out during the flood, so yes, it is a skull, and yes, it's not original, and does come from overseas, but don't worry, ladies and gentlemen, there's nothing to see here because of two things the archaeologists said. Number one, more than likely they feel it was, it was actually dropped, wasn't it, Evan? Yep. By somebody that collects skulls. And, of course, there are many people in Australia that main focus in life is collecting skulls. So from those many five or six people who do that, what actually happened was they bought the skull from overseas somewhere. By the way, that wasn't recorded in any government um, information because it's supposed to be when you move bones from one country to another. But that didn't happen, did it? No, no, that didn't happen. Somehow they managed to go past all of that because bringing a bone in from overseas and the idea of carrying disease and stuff is quite big. But it didn't happen. So anyway, this person had the skull and then one day they were walking around in the bush with the skull in hand. As you would. Yeah, you know, just carrying it around. Just carrying it around, looking at it, saying, oh, this skull, I've got this skull and I'm bringing it with me. And then accidentally dropped it. Now, what would you normally do when you drop a skull? That's if you're one of the five or six people who go collect one. You would think you'd pick it up because you paid for it, didn't you? Yes, yes. You don't buy them for free. No, no they no, cost. They yeah. do, yes. All those human skulls when you're buying them, they cost a lot. He forgot to pick it up that it washed into a creek and then the police found it. Now, they're pretty happy with that uh, description letter. They think that's pretty close to the truth. But then they went one step further. The archaeologist involved said, well, I don't know which area it's from, so we don't know how we got this, but he said the people from that area have no stories about Egypt in their mythology. Well, this is interesting because the police don't know where it came from either. And it was washed into a creek and found. But this gentleman who 
does know where it came from apparently, but didn't tell us which tribe it was that actually said that. He said, because the Aboriginal people don't have any stories about that, we can assume this was just a normal skull that was floating around in the countryside and turned up here. Now, I'm prepared to marginally accept that. It could be one of those two things. But here's the problem, Leonard. They forgot to talk about the earlier skull found in Sydney, didn't they, Evan? They did. They yeah. forgot that one. I think that was 2008 or nine. Yeah, where the police found another skull in Sydney again, in the basin of Sydney. that was washed out during the flood. Do you notice how both of them came out during floods, which means they could have been washed from in situ somewhere, but no, dropped. So these skull-collecting people, yes. they obviously go for walks in the forest and in the trees when it's pouring with rain. Yeah, in water, water catchment areas. Yes, definitely in water catchment areas. And then it, they drop it and then they forget and then it rolls down. Now, what they said about that one then was exactly the same thing when it was found. The police put out a promo and said, if anyone's lost this skull, come to, which I think was Darlinghurst Police Station, mm. we've got it here for now. So just pop along with an ownership certificate of the fact you own that skull and you can come and pick it up off us. And they said the date when they first looked at it was about 1400, didn't they? Yeah, something like that, 1400. Which, by the way, when you look at colonialism... It didn't really start the 1500s, so we've got a bit of a problem there, but it could have been the first ship. Yeah, it could have been. Could have just sailed from Spain, because they think it was Spanish, don't they? They do. And then went all the way to Australia, but didn't record it. But. but yes, but. But. They re-examined the skull. Oh, and a jaw turned up later on. Oh, a jaw, oh yeah, jaw turned up in a different place, right, later on. So when they dropped the skull, they dropped it in two bits, didn't they? They did, yeah. So the jaw probably fell off first yes. and he kept running and walking or whatever and dropped the skull. And then when he got home, a couple of days later, he realised, oh, shit, I've lost it. I better go back and I've lost it away. Yeah. That sounds reasonable, all things being equal in Australia. That would normally be considered if it was put out by the experts, the final word. But now we have a problem. They re-examined they re that first skull in 2007 and found they got the date wrong, didn't they, Evan? Yeah, about it. Couple hundred years wrong, actually. Yeah, now it's uh, one thousand, isn't it? Yeah, the year one thousand and one, I think. Yeah, one thousand and one. How's yeah, that, Leonard? Not only that, <laughs> it's a small child. It's a six-year-old child, Melbourne, and it's a girl. By the way, in ancient days, any sailor that had women on their boat that was considered bad luck, right? So now, but now we've gone back to one thousand and one. No colonialism took place then. Nobody was sailing from Spain, Portugal, or anywhere around the world. But here is a six-year-old child, skull, found it's 1,000 years old, and this, it's been in two different parts. The, the, uh, the jaw was separate from the rest of the skull, but normally when you carry the skull together as a collector, you do carry them as one, don't you? Generally, yeah. You don't juggle them as you're going. So now we've got a problem because whatever they say, we've now found in Australia a skull that is at least 1,200 years old and colonialism isn't that old. So the question we've now got is, oh, it's got to be the skull collector again, hasn't it? Yeah, really clumsy skull um, uh, collectors. And by the way, can I make a point, Leonard, that both these skulls, are found within about 70 k's from the carry-on glyphs, where there's Egyptian hieroglyphs every, everywhere. 
and all the archaeologists say that the Egyptians came here a long, long time ago. So the archaeologists who claim there's no story about this uh, are lying. As there are plenty of stories. I've spoken with an elder who told me that the Egyptians were here until 400 years ago, and his name is Mullingalli, and he's an elder, and he told me that they actually broke the law and they were speared at a beach near Sydney and told the Egyptians were told never to come back. But that didn't happen, did it? No, because that white archaeologist said he knows there's no stories from the place from whence these skulls came, yet he doesn't know where they came from. Mm. What's fascinating is that is now... Is sorry. about a, a prince from Egypt that was buried there in Australia? Yeah, yeah. And I've got his bone. Yeah, I've got his bone right now, and I've taken it to a to the local base hospital and has been examined under CAT scan and they've told me it's a human bone and it's ancient. Yes, we've got that bone. But that, again, you know these people dropping everything, mate? They drop everything when they wander around the bush in Australia. This is a femur, just a piece of a femur, and they dropped that one too. Yeah. But hang on. It was found next to a piece of metal that alongside it, they were found by Aunty Minnie Mace, both of them, weren't they? And that piece of metal has 24% uh not rec rec recognized on the periodic table too that's right uh that must be the same person who dropped both the skulls and the femur and a piece of metal that was not made on this planet there are some very sloppy people in our country leonard i'd like to apologize for that they really don't look after artifacts that well and now what's fascinating with all of this is that the archaeologists have said no 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 and of course for our two pieces of work, they've got a, two ways of doing this, Leonard. One way is to make up a ridiculous story and then people blindly accept it. Or the second way, and we know this is true because we read about this, didn't we, Evan? There's a paper that was written and it's in a book and there's a chapter written by the top archaeologist in this country. And I won't say his full two names. His first name is Dennis and his second name starts with a G, but I won't say who it is. I don't want to do that. I don't want to infer that I'm having a go at this gentleman. And I read the chapter and it was called Slater and Strongs about pseudo-archaeologists. And what he said was this, and this is what's in his paper. He said that the Australian original people do not trust Australian archaeologists and will tell them anything to make them go away. This is what he says as the top archaeologist here. And then he goes on to say, but the Strongs do have their respect and they share things with them. And their decision was how, and this is what he said, how could we defend, and that is a word he used, not me, ourselves from this. And the answer is simple. We will ignore everything they say and we will not discuss it. So there are two approaches to what is found in this country that don't fit in. If we find it, Nobody talks about it, and if you do talk about it on any of their websites or Facebook sites, what happens to them, Evan, if they mention our name? They get kicked out. They get blocked and thrown out. So that part's done. So they've fixed that up. And for the ones we don't find, whatever is found must be due to a skull collector. Hang on, Evan. It's not just skull collectors because there's another article Evan gave me. That's one, yeah, that's the one about the coin, isn't it? Yeah. Right. Now we found a coin in Australia. And on the coin, 
we've got an icon and we've got uh, an engraving of a person called Ptolemy. Ptolemy the Fourth. Ptolemy the Fourth. Now, the problem with that Ptolemy the Fourth wasn't around 700 years ago or 1,000 years ago. It was around a couple of thousand years ago. And I go back to what I said about colonialism. Uh, between 2021 and... Uh, sorry, between um, 221 and mm. 204 BC, okay. it was minted. Oh, so it's 2,400, 2,400 years ago. There was no colonialism taking place. Now, this particular coin was found in Cairns. Now, what's really fascinating was it was dug out by a farmer in about 1904, and he said, oh, that's weird, and put it in his... Um, draw for 70 years and when he died he gave it to someone and they then released it and this is what we said first of all i want to make the point it's agreed it was dug out when he was making a fence along an original walking track right it wasn't found on a road wasn't found on a white fellow's walking track it was found on an original walking track and he dug down about i think it was 18 inches wasn't it when he found something it something like that yeah now flat on the ground, 18 inches. The general rule is um, that's about half a metre. The general rule is a metre on flat ground is about 50,000 years. So we're looking at around 20,000 years. No, we're not. No, we're not. It's been sorted out, that one. What actually happened was uh, at that stage up there in the 1900s, the only people walking through there, and they admit that, would be gold miners because no one else was farming the place at that time. They just weren't there. What they said was one of these gold miners was carrying in his knapsack a Egyptian ancient coin. And as you know, Leonard, that's basically what uh, gold miners carry. I mean, they're all incredibly rich. They collect coins and they have their mansions, but they nip out and do a bit of gold mining every now and then just for fun, don't they? Yeah, it's just a hobby. Yeah, it's exercise. Yeah, well, you know, get your aerobic capacity up and stuff like that. Well, they dropped it. The problem is if they dropped it on the ground 100 years ago, it will be about 4 to 5 inches on the flat surface, not 18 inches. So what they did when they dropped it, they didn't drop it. They threw it, mate. Oh. They threw it, and it was muddy. And they threw it so hard, it went straight down into the mud and went down 18 inches instead of the 3 or 4. That's what actually happened. And that, by the way, has now been accepted as the legitimate excuse for what happens in Australia. Now, what we're now going to do with TJ and Paul and Phoebe, well, not so much me, but Evan, it forced me into it, is we're going to take you through, through a litany of artefacts found in Australia. And every time I'm going to give you quotes around the official explanations for what took place. And the official explanations are basically... How many different ways can we lie about this until it becomes so ridiculous even those that are brain dead are going to wake up one day and say, that doesn't make sense anymore. Now, this is normal for Australia, and it's basically what we go through all the time. Now, just in very quickly closing before we go back to TJ, because I'll lead into what TJ is talking about. I figured otherwise TJ won't get to talk, will she? Yeah. So, no way, TJ, I'm leading in towards you now because I'm going to talk about something else that was found in Australia that relates to Atlantis. So, we're going to get there. Okay, so now we have a pattern in Australia. As you can see, what happened in Australia? People came to Australia over the years, picked up sacred objects from other places, 
then threw them in the ground or dropped them and walked away. I like to think a lot of people had holes in their pockets, perhaps. I think people need to learn how to walk through the bush. But let's talk about one place where there were two artifacts found that are made from metal. Now, I'm going to make this point, ladies and gentlemen, you have to remember, in Australia, every book, every text, and every expert will tell you there was no metal in this country until Mr. MacArthur came and the first fleet came and they brought their bayonets and their bullets and their guns, then metal first came in. 1788 is the year when metal reaches Australia. If that is the case, why is it that we are actually have, well, we did have two, I've destroyed one of them. We have two rings that were found at Hill End, which is a gold mine in New South Wales at 33 degrees latitude. Same as Carryong. Interesting, isn't it, that number? Mm -hmm. And there were found two rings. The first ring was found one and a half metres beneath the surface. Remember I said about a metre for 50,000 years. And the next one was found four metres beneath, beneath the surface, both by metal detectors. Which means it was placed there naturally when around about 200,000 years ago that ring dropped. I believe those two rings were buried in Australia. Now, why do I think they were buried in Australia? Three reasons. Number one, both of those rings have two insignias on it, two symbols, and they're identical. What are the chances if they're different, they're identical? Now, the two symbols they both have is they both have four symbols, the Atlas, the simpler Berber symbol for Atlas, the son of Poseidon. And, of course, that brings us to Atlantis, doesn't it? Both of them have that. Now, both have five circles, and all of the circles are of different diameters. Now, anyone, and I'm sure TJ knows this, the inner sanctum of Atlantis was made of five rings of earth and water. And then you went into the inner temple, the temple of, I think it was Poseidon and Cleito. So those five rings, and they were reached by straight rows going across vertically and horizontally. Well, in each of these captions, there's a circle and a straight line vertical, a straight line um, horizontal above and below to keep it into that caption. And they both have five of those. And they both have four of the other ones. So they are similar. And they are obviously, now if it's not from Atlantis, which I believe it is, and TJ is going to talk more about that in a certain Carmen Walter, then it doesn't matter. The question still remains, how is it? Those two metal rings, both made from the mythical metal of Ori Chalcum, mm -hmm. that according to Wikipedia, before they changed it, was only found in the mythical continent of Atlantis. Now, the question we've got there is, we spoke about the fact that we've got a, a young child here and we've got a, a human that come from Europe somewhere, now we've got some artifacts that come from, and then we've got an artifact that comes from off-world at Carrion, and a bone that's also Egyptian. Now we've gone further. Now we've got rings that come from Atlantis that were buried in Australia. And I mean buried. Four metres beneath the surface is a big bury. And what's fascinating about the two people who found both those rings from Atlantis is the stories of how they found it. Both of these guys started by saying, you're not going to believe how I found this. I thought to myself, yes, I do. 
Now, the first guy that found the first ring, which we've since destroyed because we can't talk about the fact that these rings have got magic in them because he won't let me. He's not letting me do magic this time, so I can't talk about that. We destroyed it anyway because we had to. Now, what's interesting about both those rings is that they were found at the same place. And the people who found them, the first guy that found it had bought a brand new $10,000 metal detector. And they went to Hillem looking not for ancient rings, but for gold, because it's a gold mining for the area. And they, being typical Australians, they spent the night before celebrating what they were going to find, and they got broke themselves off and got drunk. That's how we normally do things in Australia, particularly for <laughs> guy. We drink beer. Anyway, he woke up in the morning with a really bad hangover, and he picked up the metal detector and said, I'm going to try this thing out, because he'd never turned it on. And he decided to go up a hill where they knew there was no gold, just to make it work, just to get it going. And then he found it. And he dug down a metre and thought, why am I doing this? Because it's on a steep hill. It's on a steep hill. To be a metre and a half down is ridiculous. On the side of the hill, it's got about a 30-degree slope. That takes much longer to build up and accumulate than flat ground. Trust me. So he dug down a metre and a half and found this dirt. And then he rubbed it off and it looked like gold and he thought he found this ring that was ancient made of gold and he thought it was going to be worth millions of dollars. So he took it to an assayer and on the top of it, I've seen it, it says no gold and it's got copper and zinc and three other elements and he thought, well, that's rubbish and he sold it to Ross. He didn't know those three elements were exactly the same five elements that Plato spoke about and Pliny the Elder spoke about when describing what Ori Chalcom was made from. He didn't know that. He found it that way. And he said, I don't even know why I walked up there. He said, I didn't intend to when I picked it up. I was just going to go around the surf. He said, it felt like somebody told him to walk up there. So he did. The second person, they found this at Hill Inn on the side of the road. There was a bulldozer there that was digging out soil. And they dug down four and a half metres. And right on the top of the tailings there, they found that ring. But what's fascinating is there were three other guys that went before this guy. And they both put their metal detector over the whole thing and found nothing. And he did the same thing again and found this ring, which we then got off him. Um, that cost a lot of money, I've got to make the point, but we did that because that ring is just as evil as all rings from Atlantis. Now, my point is this. How could that be if the story is that no one came to Australia until Cook and Philip and all we have bones Objects, rings, skulls are all predating this. It tells me if you want empirical proof in Australia, oh, by the way, I can tell you how they've dealt with the two rings in mainstream since we found it. What's the rule? Nobody talks about it. So it never gets out. Oh, and uh, <laughs> Wikipedia slightly modified their page. Oh, yeah, they did. They now say that Ori Chalcombe is a real metal, but they don't say it comes from Atlantis, do they? No, they don't put that anymore because Ike Chalcombe has been found. It was found in a, a Roman galleon that sank in the 6th century BC um, near Sicily. And it was in ingot form and they were making their way to Rome, which meant they were picking the ingots up from somewhere else. And these are the only ones that have ever been found and taken back to Rome to make into coins, which is what they did with them. So, ladies and gentlemen, there is a story about part of Australia and it relates to 
Atlantis. So, TJ, here's a good chance for you to shut me up and you can have a go now and talk about what you're going to talk about. Wait. Make sure you, there you go. Um, can you hear me? Yes. Great. Thanks, Stephen. That was awesome. Um, yeah, so I'm joining the uh, Our Alien Ancestry Conference this weekend. Um, Stephen and Evan had invited me to um, primarily, you know, share uh, on the topic of overseas ways. Um, a little bit about my background. Um, I'm a field archaeologist. I have to specify field archaeologist because, um, yeah, I'm not w one of the uh, academic archaeologists that have to play within the uh, sort of mainstream patriarchal rules of um you know the common or the popular narrative and the dogma of what we have come to learn about prehistory and our ancient um ancestors so in a way it's good <laughs> because i didn't take that path i worked as an archaeologist for 10 years primarily before i got married and had kids and then i kind of had to park that intrepid archaeologist in me for a while and then kind of began consulting more and um, doing research work as well as some um, film work. I was, in an, I was in a documentary together with a team of other intrepid researchers. It's called Ancient Tomorrow. That was back in, um, it was released in 2012, just an independent documentary. And we were really um, searching for clues as to you know, what is really behind these megalithic structures around the world? Um, so, so many of them are thought to be tombs and temples. However, you know, it doesn't take a, a genius or a, a quantum physicist even to look a little bit deeper and see that there's much more going on. And in fact, what we're finding is it's through the uh, I guess those who are more inclined to look into the metaphysical, look into um, new age, what they call, you know, from the new age uh, movement, or those who are inclined to look into ancient mysteries that can really see that there was something else going on. And it, I was brought on to this um, documentary to be the archaeologist in the team. So this is the documentary Ancient Tomorrow. Um, anyway, uh, one of the places we visited was Lake Titicaca in Tiwanaku. And just real quick, like from, from the research I had to do in order to get us there, um, I actually stumbled upon just so many anomalies, so many uh, things that didn't fit, didn't quite fit into the regular narrative of the ancient cultures from both Latin America and Mesoamerica and North America. And um, I was really intrigued and it actually, you know, it helped me um, meet a lot of experts who, I guess they were relegated to fringe and pseudoscience, but they were indeed uh, experts and independent researchers and investigators um, on these topics. And that's actually how I stumbled upon meeting Stephen and Evan, because I did grow up in Australia. And so I was also very interested in the Australian original people and the cultures from there. Um, 
And yeah, one of the uh, experts I actually worked with, um, mostly after we had already wrapped up for the documentary, but nevertheless, I was really captivated by her was Dr. Carmen Bolter. And so this weekend's uh, for this weekend's conference, I'm actually going to be um, speaking about my my work with her. I considered her a mentor. May she rest in peace. Unfortunately, this year she passed away suddenly. So I will definitely be, um, you know, honoring her memory and her life's work. Um, you might have heard of her through the documentary, The Pyramid Code. She's the executive producer and creator, writer, researcher behind that fantastic documentary series. I believe it's available on Netflix, depending what continent you're in. But um, it was really fascinating when I started looking into her work and I reached out to her. I actually interviewed her in 2012, which was awesome. It was actually December, around December 21st, 2012. Um, and she was speaking in Palm Springs at the CPAC conference. And um, I got to interview her and I will actually be releasing some never before seen footage from that interview at this week's conference. So make sure to grab a seat, um, uh, make sure to visit the link and grab your seat, reserve your seat for that because uh, you'll definitely, I mean, she's passed away now, unfortunately. And um, you know, I've never shared this interview with anyone and just it's really um uh, a deeper look into how she tackled this topic of what is forbidden in archaeology and in the mainstream uh discussion and the mainstream narrative specifically about ancient egypt um and it's really significant because that is the that is what we have now encountered through the work of Stephen and evan um, and what they've found or what they are investigating in Karyong, these ancient hieroglyphics that have appeared um, in, in New South Wales, in Australia. So, I mean, they haven't just appeared, but they've been there for a long time, as we know, even the, um, the oral tradition referred to them. So, um, so it's really important that we look at her view and perspective because she takes off that western lens of how ancient egypt is viewed and really puts on a different lens in fact to me it it's it comes from more of the feminine intelligence which is pretty much what ancient egypt was about especially pre-dynastic egypt and in the pyramid code she really unpacks that and even has a wisdom a giza wisdom keeper um on there who speaks a lot about it now, I'm also going to talk about, unfortunately, she wasn't able to complete her um, next body of work. Um, I'm not sure where it's at with her team, but um, it's called The New Atlantis. Um, when we were working together, I was helping her in the pre-production of that and in the research of that. Now, The New Atlantis, her vision for that was really to go on this worldwide quest and piece together together the vast jigsaw puzzle of humanity's hidden past by really looking at um, the mysterious artifacts and secret collections that we know about that make reference to um, a really advanced ancient civilization such as Atlantis. And um, it's really fantastic. And she's got in the team, 
she was going to speak with Klaus. She was going to work with Klaus Donna, with Michael Tellinger, another gentleman by the name of Dr. Perlingieri, who, whom she actually accesses the Vatican secret archives with. I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with the Vatican secret library. It's not so secret anymore. I think in 2019, they went on record to say, yes, that's there. And this is how vast it is. And yeah, pretty much it's not for everybody, but you know, what's new, you always have these secret clubs and secret societies that um, only allows initiates, high level, uh, you know, initiates or people, very important people to access them and not everybody else. So, you know, what was in there, uh, we, she was going to uh, help give a sneak peek into um, what was in there that was actually referring to uh, Atlantis. And that includes ancient maps and old records. So it would have been such a fascinating piece of work. Um, my, uh, my, you know, my hope is that I'll be able to help her complete this. I mean, obviously it would be her posthumous work. Um, I'm in kind of in talks with, I, I'm still searching for the rest of her team because we lost contact. She moved from Canada to Spain. And then during the pandemic, we we made contact a few times and then lost contact. And unfortunately, I just found out that she had passed away. So it's really, really sad. But my aim during this weekend's conference is really just to, sh for those who don't know her, for those who do know her, definitely, um, you know, honor her memory and and also bring that into the, the, the wider research that is happening here with the Forgotten Origin uh, crew and the, our alien ancestry, you know, the mission of the guys there, Stephen and Evan. So, yeah, so that's what I'm going to be talking about. And I really can't wait. I hope I see you guys there. Oh, I don't hear anything. Sorry, I was still muted. I oh, okay. That I love that you're bringing up, uh, you know, the the part of, uh, you know, at first Stephen was was talking about Atlantis, and then talking about the knowledge that the Vatican, you know, it's not so not so secret anymore, but it is secret because we, you know, only certain people get to to see that, uh, and uh, or or know about it. And there's so many people that you know, like us, they call the fringe on the outsides. And we know about this stuff, but we don't get to to be privy to it. But it, the truth is, I think that uh, people, you know, like Stephen and Evan and yourself, and all and all these people that are doing this research uh, and talking about this stuff, you know, I mean, to to Stephen's point uh, about you know them dropping uh, things and breaking them and and oops and you know and and uh, denying the 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 existence of all this stuff just plays into the whole elongated skulls, the the information that we know is the history, the true history of the human race. And, uh, you know, it, it's just like when everybody, you know, got all excited in this last couple of weeks because the American government decided to start talking about uh, what they call UAPs now, because that's different than a UFO, you know, like left twix and right twix or a custodian and a janitor, completely different professions. right? <laughs> So I, I tend to agree with Steve's little, he was being pithy, but I agree with that, that, you know, they're, they're so, they, they think they're so brilliant in their denial. And it, I don't know who they're trying to fool children because they're the only ones that are fooled by it. 
these days, maybe back 20, 30, 50, 100 years ago, people weren't as educated or as awake. Uh, and, and I think these conferences, which I want to put up on the screen uh, again, that let's plug the, the conference again, you know, uh, for you guys with we have we have several different uh, uh, things that you guys are working on that, that, you know, Evan gave me a bunch of stuff to put up. Let's put this. This is the one. That's, yeah, I got the right one. This is the one that's coming up because I have like four here because we have a couple in June I'm going to put up as well uh, as time goes on when we're talking here today. And I want to read this again for those of you who are listening on the MP3 file and not the MP4 file so you guys don't have the visuals. Our alien ancestry, this is what, what uh, uh, DJ was just talking about and Stephen was talking about earlier. Our alien ancestry, Overseas Ways, Chapter 20. So, And some of you, if you're fans, you guys know that these conferences have been going on for, for a long time. So, you know, so these are the, the speakers you can see on the screen. We're going to have Stephen and Evan. Of course, I can't say weeks. I'm not a part of it. But uh, Stephen and Evan, they're going to have. Uh, and then, of course, you have uh, Leah Capitelli being there. And I don't know if I haven't asked. So I don't know if she's going to be new channeling, but she's, I'm sure, going to be hosting. And, of course, yourself, TJ, you're going to be there. And then, uh, uh, Phil, you know, Paul and, and Phoebe, they're going to be there. And if you guys have watched any of their conferences, you've seen Paul and Phoebe, so you know who they are. Uh, and again, that's the 28th of May uh, here. If you're in the United States uh, in LA, 28th of May at 4 p.m. New York time, 7 p.m. 29th of May. If you're in Australia, Perth time, 7 a.m., 9 a.m. Melbourne time. Uh, let's take that down again. So I wanted to put that up there uh, and give a plug because that's what we're here for. And <clears throat> you guys are getting a little bit of a tidbit from Steve for what he's going to talk about. Uh, and from, and of course, you know, Evan assisting with everything he does, he assists with, uh, with everything, including all the research and technical and everything that, that goes into that. Uh, and he doesn't get enough, uh, uh, notoriety and doesn't speak enough. But then again, if Stephen were my father, I wouldn't be able to talk either. Right. The man can talk. Uh, and TJ, of course, uh, you know, uh, let's continue, uh, and and maybe unleash Steven again for a, a little bit because uh, you know people love to listen to him talk. I love to listen to him talk. However, uh, I want to say that uh, I I haven't met you before, TJ. So welcome and and uh, I should have said that at the beginning, but I was trying to get right into because we we're already a little bit late. <laughs> I was trying to to get that going for those of you out there who are fans who don't know who these people are. Uh, look this up. Most of you, I think, in my audience already know this stuff. I've Some of you I know personally, and we work together, and you guys already know who these people are. And some of you I know are fans of theirs that are here. So I know that most of the people that are out there that I can see in the audience, those of you who haven't said hello, I don't know you're here. Until you guys say hello, we don't. We know you're here only by numbers. I can see how many people per second per second uh, is on there, and that you know. And I don't know for sure who you all are. So if you guys want to know, say hello to us, and and then uh, we'll know. Like Jill, right? Jill's out there. She said hello. Peter said hello. Denise said hello. Uh, even Omar said hello. He's in the in the audience. There's a lot of people out there that have said hello and started talking. If you guys have any questions too, now might be the time to try and throw them. But I would suggest that you guys go to this conference because you'll get far more details at the conference and most of your questions will more than likely be answered there. Am I right with that, Stephen? You guys are yeah, sure you are, right. definitely. Um, and I'd like to sort of add to what TJ said and give this a, a bit of a complexion that, that maybe people haven't picked up. It sounds like it's historical, but this is the beauty of this. It's not what we're talking about is something that's really part of our future, not our past, and it was stolen from us and it's going to come back. And what Evan's going to do, if you don't mind, Evan, I'm going to get Evan, not me, but I'm going to get Evan to read from the Blue Kachina prophecy from the Hopi. Because I, I want to make the point, we talk about old ways, and we use that word all the time, 
Right. It's we're not the only ones who've used that. The hobby actually make it a prerequisite because all of these conferences, the twenty we did, seven before the Uluru ceremony that took place, and all the ones that followed are all based around this prophecy. And I've got to make the point, the last one of our conferences is on in December. We're going to stop that format after that because after that we feel it's finished. But for now, Devin, would you mind reading one paragraph there because there's a mistake in that paragraph. I want to talk about that. The Hopi acknowledge at the end of this prophecy, they change it slightly, don't they? Yes. But I think it's really important that Evan reads exactly why it is we're looking at old ways not in Australia, but the rest of the world, and our leaders in this respect are the Hopi from America. What did they say, mate? Those who return to the ways given to us in the original teachings and live in a natural way of life will not be touched by the coming of the purifier. They will survive and build the new world. Only in the ancient teachings will the ability to understand that these messages will be found upon every living thing even within our bodies, even within a drop of blood. All life forms will receive the messages from the twins, those that fly, the plants, even the rabbit. The appearance of the twins begins a period of seven years and will be <laughs> our final opportunity to change our ways. Everything we experience is all a matter of choice. Now, one uh, proviso to that is further on in the prophecy, they change that seven years to 18 months, don't they, Evan? Mm, it's around here somewhere. Yeah, they change it. Yeah, and they decide that that time from when the the, the brothers came, which was about eighteen months ago. Uh, now here we go. Um, we no longer see it in the sky. It would be a sign that we have very little time left. Perhaps eighteen months or less before the purifier returns. Right, the purifier we filmed. It's on our website, and we filmed the two brothers in the sky, like they've said. So what this is about, to an extent. When we go back and look at the past, we look at Atlantis, we look at Lemuria, we look at all the truths that took place, we look what the Egyptians really did, and we realise this is one of many, many civilizations that have fallen before. I think they call it the four bowls. There's been four civilizations before this one. What's important is if you don't understand old way, the Hopi say it time after time, they call it the old teachings. If you don't understand it, if you don't make the effort, you will not be welcome. This is why we do this. We do this because what we're trying to do for people is introduce to them the realities of the past so they're preparing for the future. Now, the realities of the past were based around what two brothers are we talking here? The blue, blue kachinas. Mm -hmm. They're called the blue kachinas. It's a blue kachina prophecy. Okay, Tony, that's, and we've used the the, the Hopi also speak in another prophecy about the fast-flowing river that you have to jump into and you do not know where it goes and you celebrate with the people who jump in and many will hang to the shore and they will not join us. The Mayans talk about the two roads. This is what this is all about. What we are based on and what we're based around is one thing. The old teachings. The hobby name for the star Sirius is Blue Star Kachina. Yeah. yeah. They're coming. They're coming. And they said they would show themselves. And there's two brothers, one in the northern hemisphere and one in the southern hemisphere. And we filmed both of those brothers showing themselves about 18 months ago when the first ceremony took place. They're here. There's been anomalies in the sky ever since, yeah. to be honest. Um, 
which I've been trying to collect as much as I can. But, but they keep coming in. There's no way I'm going to get them all. There's and no there's no explanation that works. We, we discussed one the scientists put up when they said it was caused by crystallization during the cold and refraction and reflection from um, uh, city lights, wasn't it? it, it yeah, yeah. But we have one here in Perth in the middle of the day in the middle of the summer. In the middle of the summer, and we have one in Newcastle in the middle of the day, middle of the summer. And we have other ones during the day when that can't happen. They make up all sorts of ridiculous explanations and think, well, okay, we've answered that. There's nothing to see here. Let's move along. Yeah, now, here in America, they say it's swamp gas that has uh, arisen and it's being illuminated by, you know, something. Uh, yeah. Or, yeah, or they say... Yeah, it's all the same, Leonard, every time, and it comes out the same way. They are ridiculous excuses that dismiss magic. And what's really interesting is we're now in the process of doing a pragmatic and practical experiment that I'm doing empirically, and I'm going to publish the results and try and get it into nature, into, into respected scientific magazines, because I can write science. And you know what it's about? It's about proving the magic of the rocks. Now, in the old days, the Hopi will tell you, and every indigenous group will tell you, some rocks were sacred and magic. We're actually measuring it. And what we're doing is, because we've tried twice to set the rocks up on country in Australia, and twice, and I won't go into details why, the Australian government stepped in and stole the land, or, in the second case, put the person, the millionaire, who gave us the money in jail, and he's still in jail, and he hasn't been charged, and he's been in there for seven months, and they brought 50 police to arrest him. Weird stories took place, and in the end, we decided to put the rocks on um, our property and get people to come and sit inside them. Now, we've done that once, and what I did at the end of it, I'm going to hold this up, this is scribbled on, I had this paper where they wrote from 1 to 10, and there were about 20 categories to put into it. It was broken down, so I'm not allowed to know what people experience when they sit between the rocks. But I wanted to find out whether I could prove something was happening. And what was fascinating is I got 33 of these sheets filled out, and it's broken into three categories. Was this experience directed towards? And you've got a choice of mind, body, and or soul. And people sometimes gave two answers, not one for another. That manner of contact, and I've got about eight. Hair stood on end, a vision, a voice, telepathic contact, chills, heat, which I don't know why I put that in, but I did, and feeling energy waves from the circle. Then the type of message, a premonition, a sensation of well-being, wisdom shared, an energy inflow charging the body, charging the soul, or charging the mind. And people wrote down scores. Now, of the 34 people who have answered this, because one person did it recently, 33 made entries where the rock did something to them. That's very important. Now, the person who didn't make an entry, who came to the first conference... Hmm. Uh, she didn't buy a ticket. The person who was going to come got sick, probably with COVID, and they took their place and came the day before. We asked everyone to bring gloves. Of course, these two didn't bring gloves. And then about two minutes into uh, the presentation, that this one woman insulted my wife. That went down like a ton of bricks with me, I can tell you. And we were sitting next to the rocks at the time. When she said that, I looked at the rocks and said, I really hope you don't help this woman. Anyway, I got further, further on, she insulted Leah, didn't she? I'm not going to say how. And then further on, she insulted all of the all of our, me, my wife, 
and everyone there because we live in an area where there's signs everywhere that say you cannot bring a dog or cat onto this area to protect the rainforest. It's a rainforest and there's native animals here. During the break, these same two people went out and got their dog that was inside the car and let it run around the farm. By this time, mate, I nearly felt like saying to them, I'm not going to say what I nearly said to them, but I was getting pretty done in with these people and one of those two people gave a score of nothing for everything on the sheet. And I thought to myself, I'm enraging this point to let you know, these rocks will not feed and sustain people who don't deserve it. Now, I'm not going to say who the person is. Oh, what type of rock? Oh, look, there's about 70 in this formation. They're sacred. They come from all over Australia, and they are shared with one thing. All of them have technology that is beyond the problems of stick, stone, and bone technology. So we've got hundreds of rocks. Sometimes we know are 10, 15,000 years old that have amazing cuts that you can't use with anything other than a tungsten tip or a laser. The technology shown on these rocks is beyond what we have today. And everyone knows that. The Australian Museum went and looked at these once. And, yeah, there's another story with that. We really went to court on that one. But what I found interesting was this, that everybody there had a score for feeling energy waves from the circle of rocks. And the scores were three. One person gave it a three. Three gave it a six. Two gave it a seven. Three gave it an eight. Um, three gave it a nine. And 20 gave it a 10 out of 10. So what every person there is saying is they felt something come from the rocks. Now, that's not possible. Science will say that couldn't happen. When it comes to where it was directed, I had 28 that said it was the soul, 26 said the body, 26 said the mind out of 33. Now, what's really interesting is for all of this, and there were so many tens it wasn't funny, that after, like there's... um. Yeah, after the feeling energy waves from the circle, the next highest score for manner of contact wasn't a vision, it wasn't a voice. Mind you, nine people out of 33 gave it a 10 for a vision. Eight people out of 33 said they heard a voice at 10 and others gave them different scores. But the one that came second was heat. 11 out of 33 gave it a score of 10. Now, how come a group of inert rocks sitting in a circle about a metre and a half away from this person in the middle. How can one-third of the people score 10 out of 10 for the heat coming off these rocks? What this is proving is these rocks work. But what's fascinating is no two sheets were the same. Every sheet was different. And the lady who came recently was sent by an elder, and we did a special healing for her. I didn't know, and she told us later, the pain in her back was so bad the day before she told the uh, partner, I can't live with this much longer. I'm going to have to something to do with it. The whole of her life, she's been in agony. And when she came, I didn't realise to begin with, and I saw her walking towards me, she could barely walk. Now, she laid down, not sat, because she can't sit on the cushions inside there. She had to lay down. She's that chronic. And she told us, when she laid there, she could feel something coming into the side of her body. I'm not making this up because this is what she told me because I didn't get to her message. I got to find out how it happened. And then there was a clunk in her spine. And then she stood up and walked properly for the first time in her life. And the pain was gone. And she just kept talking about that because I'm not supposed to hear this stuff, but she just wouldn't stop talking about it.
She said, I've been to every chiropractor, every osteopath, and not once did my spine ever clunk. And she said after that, it was done by the rocks. She felt the energy just realign her spine. And then when she got up, she could walk, she could straighten her legs. And when she was laying down to begin with, they told her how to position herself. And she laid, she said, I can't lay like that. And they basically said, you will now. And she did. She could lay with her legs straight out. Couldn't do it before. Now, what I'm seeing there is that is our future. There's magic in those rocks. And do you know where the magic came from? They're symbiotic. They come from us. We put the magic. Elders held these rocks. And they put magic inside. And they're still there now. Now, that's part. Of course, you can be sure of one thing. Oh, as one person just said, I got healing from them, including amazing love. Well, we also had a conversation. Yeah, yeah. She, she was there. She was one of the people there. So what I've got now is I've got 34 people who will swear on a stack of Bibles. When you lay between those rocks, those rocks do, and I'm going to say the word because it's the only word that fits, they do magic on those people. Now, that's what's really important in this story of history we're talking about, that TJ is going to talk about. And Paul and Phoebe are going to do a completely different version of what TJ is doing. They're going to do it as people who are just wandering through the countryside on a spiritual journey. And they're going to... That's a good segue. I want to get back to, to TJ. I want to ask her a couple of questions, especially now that you've gotten into the energy portion yes. of the rocks there. And TJ talking about uh, Atlantis... And I don't know how, how in detail, TJ, you're going to get. I don't want to give too many uh, 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 secrets away because if we talk about it here 100%, then, you know, obviously nobody's going to go to the con the, 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 uh, the uh, show because they don't need to, right? So uh, without giving away too much, um, are you going to delve into that aspect of the energy and the crystals and talk about that with Atlantis and two-part question? Uh, you alluded a little bit earlier. How far are you going to go into the the ideology that the Atlanteans were, um, you know, aliens, not from Earth? Start with the energy, and how how far are you going to get involved in that in your conversation and, and, and at the conference, and uh, the alien question? Because I'm sure the people want to know about that, right? Uh, yeah, I guess so. I've been wanting to know it myself. <laughs> um, <laughs> right? Yeah, it's definitely part of these really great questions that if you're going to do any um, archaeology or ancient, you know, uh, ancient ancestry investigation, you've got to be objective. And it's sorry, but that's going to include the whole universe. <laughs> what what wild hypothesis can you come up with? But what we're doing is we're looking at um, we're looking at the body of evidence that you know not only has um much of it is called hidden but really it's not hidden it's been marginalized or it's been you know it's been the people who have come up with it has been have been ostracized by these high towers of both academia and i mean technically to be honest global entities um that have power over the world um, and so I would definitely want to talk about the energy and the off-planet intervention, which is how I want to look at it. Um, but to start off with, with the energy, um, 
Yeah, I'll, I'll definitely go into that. I can say one thing in my experience when specifically when I did the, the uh, filming for Ancient Tomorrow, which is, again, how I stumbled upon these many experts um, and many, um, you know, independent investigators who already have been doing the work and already been doing the literature review because there's literature on Atlantis. I mean, we all know going as far back as Plato. Um, and you you have to go, like, that's that's the work. You have to go back then and sift all the way through it and dig as much as you can to now. And if, if you can find that, great. It helps give you the leads. But w what I found out um, doing Ancient Tomorrow was that wherever there is crystals in these uh, monuments, structures, even if they're rock outcroppings with some strange, you know, uh, cutout out of them in the middle of nowhere in the desert, in the Atacama Desert or wherever in the world, somewhere obscure, there always seems to be a deposit, a deposit of crystal or silica in these rocks. And I know that our devices today our laptops, our uh, watch, you know, what do you call them? Those smart watches. watches. I don't have yeah. those smart watches, smart technology. Yeah. Even before there was smart technology, have been using crystal uh, crystals, quartz crystals for memory storage and for transduction and the piezoelectric effect. And we definitely connected that. We said, the the fact that these are these ancient cultures and you know a lot of them we're led to believe didn't communicate with each other are always using some kind of silica content rock material that's not trivial or superficial that's for a reason so when you're thinking of energy just think that uh, definitely there's something there and i mean we were very minimally funded with the documentary so uh really we could have done more like we would have loved to do more if we had the funding and again that's part of the uh part of the way that you are marginalized it's like you yeah you know you have to apply for all these permits you have to go through all these different agencies and antiquity ministries and they don't make it easy and you can't just you can't just apply for a permit doesn't matter if you're like me i was an archaeologist you need to show references from high level universities and whatnot so if you're independent you have it you've got a lick of a chance you know what i mean so that's the sad part about it but there's ways around it and and i think we're finding that and i think by the movement of truth seekers and you know freedom keepers who are persisting to find this information to ask these questions and remain objective, you know, I think we're getting there. Um, and it, it, our cries are not going to be ignored. You know, we're going to be so loud. It's going to be hard to ignore us. And then as far as the off-planet entities, going back to what Stephen was saying, I mean, you just have to look at the, um, all the indigenous people's references to, uh, you know, to the Pleiades, to the different star systems and kind of connect the dots. Um, specifically with Atlantis, to me, uh, from what I've, you know, just the information that I have leaned upon and I'm not by any means, you know, um, a 
a deep scholar on the topic, um, I probably consider myself just, you know, an amateur researcher on it and um, an enthusiast, obviously, helping to work with other uh, actual professional investigators who have done the work. I was helped, like with Carmen Bolter, I was helping in her pre-production because I did film work as well. And so I said, look, I can help you with any pre-production you need for the new Atlantis. That was supposed to be the sequel to the Pyramid Code, right? Um, she basically always talked about the Pleiades as well and the Pleiadian connection. Uh, so more than likely, that's, you know, that's where it's directing us. But um, I think it's I think it's definitely um, interesting that we, uh, you know, we keep we keep delving into the clues and um, tune into the conference and you'll probably, um, you know, pick up some leads for yourself. There's, there's actually um, one particular book I stumbled across, across that reminds me of what Stephen was referring to earlier with the stones carrying, you know, magic and healing powers. Um, it, it actually referred to a, a site that I visited. It's in Copacabana in Lake Titicaca. It's a little town on the coast of Lake Titicaca where they have a, um, I can only refer to it like, in in the uk how they have um standing stones that have a lintel piece across like stonehenge mm -hmm. it was it was a site like that okay but a single site right at the top of an outcropping overlooking the lake titicaca not far only a few kilometers from tiwanaku the great pyramid complex there that dates back to almost fifteen thousand years old even older but um, when you actually, when they actually studied the, um, you know, this site during the solstice, not only did they see that it had astronomical um, alignments during the solstice, but also that it was pointing to a specific star system. And the, uh, the ancient, you know, the, the oral tradition coming down from the ancient tribe in that area believed that it was a telecommunication device. Um, now, unfortunately, the, the research on them and the ethnography was quite limited, but they literally referred to it as an ancient telecommunication device. And it was pointing at this star system. I can't remember the star system. Um, it wasn't Pleiades, but it was somewhere in that vicinity. And it was just fascinating that, you know, for for thousands of years and for generations, that's how they that's the story that's passed down until colonial times when they called it the Inca, the uh, where they unfortunately it's it's really um, it's really sad. But it's uh, it was called the um, I don't know why it slips me right now, but, you know, where they hang where they used to hang people. What was that device called? Maybe uh, the gallows. The gallows. It was called yeah. Inca's gallows. Inca's uh, gallows. In Spanish, yeah. of course, and well, that completely. I think that that was part of the real uh, meaning of it. That was part of a of a cover up that started. Yes. I think you know that that uh, Stephen had referred to that earlier, and I and I want to go back to Stephen here because uh, this is perfect because in and uh, to further what you're talking about. Um, 
you know, he had mentioned and you had mentioned the Hopi here in the United States. I lived in Arizona uh, for years and I was right close to uh, only a few hundred miles away from the Four Corners, which I was actually on Apache land. But north of me was the Hopi and the Anusazi, which make up that area of the original uh, people in that in the area of the United States where they had all of this, you know, the Hopi rock legend and and uh, the original stories that he that. Uh, uh, Steve or Stephen referred to earlier, and I and I think of uh, you know this time period, this ancient time period, or these ancient time periods with these ancient peoples, the original peoples across the world, across the globe. Uh, it I think it harkens back to, and this is what Stephen is referring to, and I think you are as well, bringing to light the ideology that all of the world was connected in a way that. I don't think that we have been kept from understanding on purpose by this nefarious act by the people who think they own this planet. And I think that there's still the information has still been secret. And I, well, I know this, <laughs> that it was still secreted away uh, and, and, and kept away from modern day because of these academics like what Stephen was referring to that happens in Australia and, uh, and us you know, here in the United States with all that swamp gas or plasma. So I want to go back to Stephen here uh, and get your opinion, Stephen, because I know that you agree with me in that, uh, that the, the original people kept this information on purpose because they knew they couldn't just tell everyone because there was a concerted effort by all of the academics, still is, to eradicate this this memory, this knowledge of magic and power that is in this and on this planet that is not brought here by aliens, that is in fact part of our nature, correct? Exactly right, Leonard. It's very important. We have a, a rock with a dreaming story that Kano told us, that told us when they came to begin with. When they, oh, little whipper just out the front here. Uh, when they came to begin with, um they actually could not land we fought against the pleiadians when they came and our magic was stronger than their technology and it's worth bearing in mind lewis discussed in some detail the fact that atlanteans did come to australia to lemuria then they were banned and they told everyone don't go there and our understanding was that the Lemurians used their magic and banished them and that their magic was so powerful, no one would go near them. And that is the fundamental part of this story, ladies and gentlemen. You've got to remember, in the English and French aristocracy, they had people like Merlin and Nostradamus advising them. And I'll tell you now, if they weren't legit, they would have bloody killed them. That was what they did in those times, mate. You didn't, you didn't perform a purpose, man. You're not, you're not getting fed. You're gone. That was real. It was still real then. And there's been a concerted effort for a long period of time to hide from humanity what it was that drew the aliens here. This is what people don't understand. We always have this conception of the ones who believe in aliens, as you should, of them being on a pedestal and us being on the bottom rung. But the dreaming story Kano told me was about the fact that we withheld their entry because we had something there that they came for. And I have asked Mesrith more than once, what is this special thing we have? And he won't answer me, will he? He keeps being bloody cryptic every time I ask him. And he admits that even Mesrith is from the highest order of all the aliens and sits on that high council, says there are things about humans 
they admire and want to emulate. So I think this is what's been hidden from us. And when you take the love and magic out of something, and then you sit people and you give them a daily diet of reality shows and lies, eventually those people become conditioned. I should know. I was a school teacher. From the I see kids come in five with the their souls shining through their eyes. When they live, when they're 17 and 18, I can tell you now, there ain't no shine anymore. It's gone. And that's the whole purpose of the system we have. So the, the theft of magic and the theft of our contact with magic was the greatest, uh, the greatest travesty that took place on this planet. And what it did is people talking about dumbing you down. Well, when you lose your magic, everything else falls apart with it. And when you start believing the scientists who tell you their stories of what took pl takes place, and when you know all we've dealt with and the whole time we've done this has been a, a, a group, a, a concerted group from the highest level to block anything that is true. And it's honestly, I mean, from our point of view, we were lucky. We got to see Kano do things. I mean, I could write a book. In fact, on our next, um, I think, time we do a presentation with a workshop, we've got one of Kano's relations who's just going to speak for 25 minutes on what you would call miracles. And this is the point I want to make. Kano was asked once about one of the miracles, which was a disappearing one we've mentioned many times. He said it's something that every human on this planet is capable of doing, but you forgot. And that's what this is all about. Yep. It's, it's forgotten origins. It's forgotten everything. It was stolen from us, and then we forgot it. But the point is you can't steal something from within our head. You have to agree to that. And to an extent, many people have signed up and agreed to it. And that is why... The hoppies say we have to go back to the old teachings because the old teachings were the truth. And remember this, ladies and gentlemen, we were talking earlier about one civilization around the world. Read the Bible and read the story about Babylon and read the story about the Tower of Babel when everyone spoke one language. Now, if you're all speaking one language, this means you're in communication with everyone because we're sharing the same language. When everyone speaks one language, where do the lies come from? I mean, if we're more telepathic, that was the first language. Lies couldn't come. When you speak one language, you can start lying. It begins the process, and then we stop speaking one language. That's in the Bible. If everyone's speaking one language, it's one civilization. It's one way of doing things, and it was we were doing it with nature, with the earth, and what was the major thing we carried with us? That wand, that magic wand that gave us a connection to magic. And while we had that magic, we understood science much better than we do now because we could see things they can't see anymore. And you see truths with magic that are hidden the, the new way. And this is why they keep going back. And they actually call it the old teachings. The, and we call it the old way. It's the same thing. Yeah. This is what this is all about. And that's why... The ones we do in America and the rest of the world, we do it often because I want to make this clear, that ceremony two years ago was not an original ceremony. They did theirs first when they closed down the rock for two days. Then it was a global ceremony. And that's what people have got to understand. And that's why if we don't keep that global theme going, we're not doing this whole story justice. And I must make the point, when it comes to prophecies, we rely, we've got, 
prophecies from all over the world, but our, we rely on the great keepers of the prophecies who are the Hopi. They are the ones of all the indigenous people on the planet were given that specific role. And you go through their history books, and that is the only history book left on this planet that is real, that is true. All the other history books are pale reflections at best <laughs> and far worse. And the worst thing they did is they took away our old way magic. And that's the beginning of everything. But the good part of the story is, Leonard, that as we speak, we all know, anyone that's taken any notice, the Schumann residents from that two years ago to now, if you compared the chart before that ceremony over the last two years, for the 50 years, whenever we measured it before, all we would say is, my God, what is going on with this planet? It's ascending. And what it's claiming is two things. It's claiming its magic back. And what it's saying to us is, do you want it? That's what it's saying. Do you want the magic? Do you want to be able to do what Kano did when he talks to a red kangaroo, when he calls up hawks that circle above in a figure eight, when I'm driving a car and I've got a wedge-tail eagle on both sides of the driver's door flying with me and Kano's smiling and talking to the eagles. Do you want to be part of that? Well, it's there for every person on this planet. But that's why you've got to understand the hoppy made it clear. You must understand old way. So why would TJ be talking about Atlantis? Because Atlantis is old way and it's now way. It's what we have now. Why are those two rings from Atlantis found now? Those people didn't stumble upon them. The rings found them. They wanted to come out. And they wanted to find some people they haven't found at the moment. They wanted people who wanted to wear this ring for the wrong reason. They're looking for them at the moment. And that's why one of those three rooms I've destroyed. It was uncontrollable, wasn't it? Yeah, saying the least. <laughs> on its good days. And another one we've got from Atlantis. Actually, the other ring from Atlantis, about, about a month and a half ago, I sat down with it and said, if it continues doing what it's doing, and we gave it a two-day ultimatum, if it didn't stop, I was going to kill that one too. And the reason I'm saying this is because that, they are a reflection of what's out there. And I've got to tell you, they are awful with a bad news. Honestly, the only reason one's behaving and it stopped trying to kill Evan and about four or five other people is because I threatened to kill the damn thing. So I'm telling you, they don't have a particular nice nature. And that is Atlantis. Atlantis started in the stars and had the intention to be heaven on earth and was for a while and ended up in the gutter. And guess where we are today? Same gutter. And that's why we're all coming back. Well, and that's, you know, that's what happens with corruption. That's what happened with them as well. You had that nefarious line of people that, that saw the power that they were gaining from the planet and utilizing that. And then, of course, they corrupted it and tried, if you listen to or read the Emerald Tablets of, of, Thoth, of Thoth or Toth, depending on how you pronounce that, where you're from, uh, it, you know, in the Emerald Tablets, they, Toth blames the Atlanteans for the for the deluge and the destruction because they were tampering with the three, six, and nine, and they stopped the rotation of the planet. And of course, the the uh, crust continued to move, which changed drastically the landscape of the world. Mm. And that was nefariousness. And then they had to quick like turn the the planet back on and get it to turn again. And by then, it was too late, and they wiped out half the people. And some say 
that was done on purpose by the nefarious people a part of that and that would be more the group that made that rings or those rings that were trying to murder you guys uh you know mm. not too long ago and it, you know in other people and and that was the the negative energy because unfortunately here we have positive and negative uh, people and those negative people are the ones who are trying to like you said eradicate and take away the memory of our true selves on this yep. earth uh, you know, our DNA, I've been told from Offworld that our DNA is royalty. And that's why people have been coming here in the past and why our magic was so powerful because of who we are when we know who we are. Ah, that's it. You got it, mate. It's the big words so when we know. Yeah. So we were lucky when we, we met Kano because he was one of, there'll be a few others like him, but I guarantee on the planet you could count them in two hands for people like him. The sad part of the story was originally every one of us was like him. And I think I might be right in saying this, TJ. I know it's right in Australia that the traditional belief was that every human born has a degree of magic within them. I've got a strong suspicion that all indigenous people of the planet acknowledge the reality, not the possibility, but the reality of magic. And I think that was the thing that bound our planet. Because when you understand magic, good magic, I'm talking about live magic because we know there's both types. When you understand it properly, there are so many obligations that take place with you to be with that magic that you have to behave in a way the magic will accept you. Now, if you want to involved with the dark magic, that's different. Okay, different things come out. But the, the, the magic we're talking about that bless this planet, you yourself, to be part of that magic, have to change yourself to fit in with the magic. The magic will not adapt to you. You have to bend to it. And that's what the elders here learned. I mean, Kano could sp speak to different animals. He could control animals. He could communicate with them. And that story we have in our mythology about Dr. Doolittle is based on a fact. This is the point. There was a time when the Bible talks about the fact we all spoke one language, then we didn't. What it didn't mention is we also spoke to our animals. And the animals spoke with us. We were in communication with every being on this planet. Oh, man, if I was an alien and I was coming around that time, I'd say, I don't want to be part of this, man. I want to get involved in this. And they did. So this is a big problem today. We're so caught up in do UFOs exist we never really address the important question. It's not do, but why? Right. Why would they bother coming to a planet? The last 6,000 years on this planet, it has been one continuous war. And there have been just little pauses and respites while it's taken place. Because we've been blind. We lost our magic. And it's been taken to us gradually. And now it's gone completely. And I think that's why there's a redress. And that's why the planet is ramping up because it's building up both its energy and its magic. And when it's finished, when it finally hits that final level where the Schumann residents will never drop back and will always stay off the chart, then if we're ready, if our soul is ready for this, this is what these three years are about. It's us trying to get ready and adapting to this change. And a lot of people can't, and you can see it in them. This has brought out the best and worst in all of us. And the best part is that the line in the sand is the third of the three solstices that be the world. The end of this year. After that, if you are not 
aware of where you should be, then where you should be will be aware of you. And that will have consequences because you don't deserve to be here. Right. See, that's perfect for the question that Denise posed. Will it get better when more and more people become awake and believe? I pray so. Yes. And that's the whole purpose of yeah. this three-year activation. That that's what it's for. Yeah. This human resonance. And, and, and I, I see TJ's over here shaking her head. Yes, she also agrees. And, and will uh, uh, I'd like to get her opinion uh, entered into this. She's been very quiet uh, for the last few minutes while we were talking. Uh, and so, so you know, she's in agreement. And I, I believe and I know that that's why, and this is what Stephen was saying, why this three-year activation, not only the time before now, but now specifically because, I mean, think about this, guys. When was the last time we had a full moon that was not a supermoon? Right at the time when we started these activations two and a half years ago, and we're coming up to this uh, winter solstice. If you're in the northern hemisphere of the planet, uh, and in the you know, and the, uh, that's going to be the the third uh, cycle, the end of the three year cycle. And this is what Stephen is referring to: that if you don't know where you belong, then because you have a choice to make here, uh, then you're you're going to be having problems. So, TJ, I'd like to get your opinion on that because I see you shaking your head. Yes, so you agree with this and we didn't cover that when we were talking about atlantis because i was kind of going down that whole alien thing so let's get more into the spiritual aspect without giving away too much because you guys need to tune in uh coming up on the 28th if you're in america the 29th if you're in australia uh to this conference so that you can hear more and more about this but tj i'd love to get a little bit of tidbit uh from you on this whole uh, thing that stephen was just referring to yeah thank you so much um i agree for sure, Leonard. In my in my research and during the time, especially that I was speaking to um, a lot of the experts for my documentary and the research leading up to it, as well as the the work I was doing with Dr. Bolter, I really started to get the picture of a lost spiritual technology. And just to give you a snapshot, it kind of from from what I gleaned, it kind of starts uh, when the feminine intelligence was forced to, but also upon the permission, given her permission herself, and I'm talking about the goddess, uh, went underground. Um, so she didn't just become, um, you know, uh, covered up and expunged by at the hands of a dark priesthood, but she gave permission to go underground. And if you look at the Vedic traditions and texts, you will see in the timeline, this time is meant to be uh, a time of conflict, warfare, sin. You know, that's that's the Kali theme. Yuga. Yeah, Kali, Kali Yuga. Yuga. But and it's the, ending. The Vikings referred to it as Ragnarok. The Christians right. referred to it as the tribulations of the time of trouble or, or Armageddon. Yes. It's, yeah. it's definitely referenced in the Old Testament and in many other ancient texts. And even amongst the tradition of, um, you know, uh, other uh, ancient indigenous groups, such yep. as the Dogon, the Hopi, um, and the Australian the, original people, yep. it's been referenced that this is a time of, you know, the world is upside down. But we're actually at the transition point, right? Yes. Um, at the dawn of the, this new age or new awakening. So yeah. yes, it's so important that if you if you have the wherewithal, if you have the calling, the time to work 
on your on your own inner work and healing and activation we are light bodies we're multi-dimensional beings yep. um that's i mean even quantum physics is is verifying that yeah. um so it's not woo woo it's not new age you no. know unfortunately though if you are stuck in that academic paradigm it's it's you're in the weeds and in the reeds with that narrative so yeah. that's why you have a lot of people seeking you know um this information now because they do feel the calling and it is important to uh you know follow that ascension um in fact if you're looking at i was i was raised catholic i was born in the philippines with spanish and filipino parents so very catholic on both sides and one of the things i'll never forget that so resonated with me since this you know pandemic pandemic is um the gift of the holy spirit that is discussed as the gift of uh that was given um to the disciples of jesus um that is called the gift of discernment and what is discernment it is so key right now it's really knowing the difference of the truth and what appears to be true because we are confronted with what appears to be true and we're bombarded with so much toxicity that we are that if you are not paying attention, if you are not, I don't know, um, connected enough, activated enough, uh, whatever it might be, um, you're not going to pick up on it. And unfortunately, with so much uh, stresses in the world, people are just trying to get by. Yes, they are distracted, whether it's sports, celebrity worship, uh, their jobs, their bills, trying to survive, um, being sick, being in disease. It's so hard to navigate this right now, but um, spiritually speaking, it's it is a it is a, a seed within everyone. So the yeah. blueprint for that awakening, the blueprint for that activation, is within everyone. And you see that in these ancient cultures. That's why they had these mystery schools, and that they made time for people who wanted to be initiated and learn these mysteries. Um, they could do that and in the process activate these senses that to us is completely like, uh, you know, it's not part of our everyday sensory uh, toolkit, you know, like the ancient wisdom Giza keeper Hakim in the pyramid code that Dr. Balter features speaks about yep. that we had 360 senses. It includes teleportation, bilocation, telepathic senses um levitation who knows yep. what else because yep. as light bodies as well as physical flesh we actually exist and can exist and have powers which you know can appear as magical in beyond the 3d realm and you see this and and what i was going to quickly um go back to is a, just a quick snapshot this information was known this information was probably mainstream in atlantis in the atlantean yeah. tradition it was mainstream and then because of what happened the calamity that made it disappear and go underground what you had was this is how actually carmen explained it and she used a a, a tool of archaeology that's very fringe what some people may call it in science but she used psychic archaeology she became very psychic in the process of the work she was doing and she used psychic archaeology and remote viewing and worked with others like that 
that saw that they were there were groups of evacuation evacuation groups that left Atlantis and their yeah. job certain groups were tasked to carry that knowledge and uh, wherever they may land when the waters receded that's uh, either where they were supposed to keep the knowledge and find a way to keep it going and this is where it went from the hands of to me the way I picture it it kind of went underground into an even dark you know darker set of hands to where what we have now is the secret societies of today have this information and they yeah. keep it for themselves and they are the elites who are in the power yeah. uh you know power thrones right now of the world but it's become it's coming out more you know more and more people are waking up to it and they see they're not just you know they're not just one percent with a lot of money and power they actually carry this hidden knowledge that goes way back and yeah. who knows how they've interpreted it obviously you definitely have like some it gets really twisted in some of these secret society cults where it's super insidious and nefarious but and that's a sad thing about it it was never meant to be like that it kind of fell in those hands but it, i guess that's breaking apart it's it's a shadow that is definitely getting light illuminated. Well, the way I was the way I was explained is exactly what you're saying. Uh, to further that, uh, at the time, uh, like we're going back even prior to the Atlanteans coming here, uh, and Stephen was re referring to that, where we had the powers to repel people who were nefarious and our powers of, of the original people which is us in the past were were greater than their technology and once they got down here with this this group from atlantis there was people that were trying to help and further and investigate but there was also that nefarious uh, uh, uh group of people and from what i was told what happened was that this group of people part of them left like you said and they purposely created the deluge to kill everybody off. And the ones who stayed, some of them were good people like the Hopi, the original people of Australia who took that knowledge, like you said, and kept it underground and hid it because there was a group of people which now call themselves the Luciferians, who were the other part of the Atlanteans who stayed here. And they stayed and wherever they landed, they took control again. And they were done that on purpose to keep us from learning this knowledge so they could control the entire planet coming forward in time until now because they were trying to do what they're trying to do now. And it's been on this long line. But what they didn't count on was there were so many people in the Celtic race, the, the original people in America, the Hopi and the Anusazi, the original people in Australia, the original people in Madagascar and South America or South Africa, which became what we now call the African people that those people protected that knowledge and pretended that it wasn't here so that they could spread it to the rest of the world spiritually like we're doing now. And then in this time, like you referred to, and we we're referring to where all of this is supposed to happen now, and Stephen has referred to this many times when we've talked throughout the years that the Aborigines were alluding to that. And so were the Hopi without giving us any knowledge. They were kind of saying, well, and then when you started reading all of the scriptures like uh, Stephen was referring to before, 
we realized that all of this was supposed to happen now. And then they came out all of a sudden and said, we have to do this activation for the world in this three-year time period. And all of us jumped on board because we understand the mission and what we're here to do. And this is why we're doing, why you're doing this, why Stephen and Evan are doing this, uh, because, and these conferences, because it is now to answer back again, Denise's question from before, I think it was Denise that asked that question of, you know, is it going to get better? Yes. And to further what TJ said, this is the dawning of the new, you know, it's the dawning of the age of Aquarius. Bakhtun 12 is over in 2012. Bakhtun 13 has begun. We're just in that space in between and we're now starting, but unfortunately we still have that the residual of the time of trouble. The Kali Yuga, the Ragnarok is in that void when one ended and one begins and we have gone through that and we're done. At the end of this three year cycle, we are in the starting point and the nefariousness is uh, it's becoming obvious to the world they can't hide anymore even though they keep trying and they don't understand why it is that people are waking up being able to see them well because the schumann residence which steven was talking about before is through the roof and we're keeping it there on purpose and you guys are doing this and i with my show and all of us are doing this with our words with our showing like you're doing look guys here let me show you about atlantis what we know and what they don't want you to know and Stephen and evan and let's talk about the rocks and the and the magic that's going on on this planet that is old what we call the old ways Stephen said that earlier and we call that the old ways and some people call call it slightly different but it's just like we you know ragnarok the christian uh, rapture the you know the kali yuga they all mean the same thing they have different words around the world in different cultures, but they mean the same thing. And what is happening here is a beautiful thing. And everyone needs to realize that they've already lost. They lost when they left Atlantis, when they destroyed Atlantis. They just didn't want the rest of the world to know that. And that's what we're up against is them trying to pretend that they're still in charge when the truth is they've lost the battle. They've lost the war. We're just mopping up now. That's my opinion. Stephen, what do you think? <laughs> because you summed up pretty well everything we said i agree i think that um this is very much like the end the the way that hitler finished the war was when he left the country he decimated it right he trashed it and that's what they're doing now they know they know what's going on they know the world is changing and the ones at the top level have been dreading this day and their defense was to make everyone fearful and they tried really hard let's give them credit they really did. And the number needed for that first ceremony was exceeded by a factor of 10. We knew exactly how many people were supposed to be there. We got way above that, and that was the end of it. That UFO ship that flew above there on that day at Uluru was just watching and enjoying the scenery because they knew what that meant. And what we have is three years, and remember, it started with the alignment of Jupiter and Saturn, and the summer solstice three planetary figures were involved the third one the end of this year we have the summer solstice an eclipse of the moon the sun and the moon and uranus which is the planet of change that are in alignment with the sun so it well, however you look at it it tells me that's the end of it and yes there will be another ceremony we are going to do one we're not sure whether we're doing it on the farm or at Uluru. I think it's possible to be at Uluru, but we, 
We've got to confirm on that. We'll find out soon enough. But we certainly will be doing our third ceremony um, and trying to cover it as best we can. Well, I don't know where we're going to be when we do it. It could be at the, near the rock anyway. But, yeah, we are because we believe that's the end, end of it. I, I'm not saying that the day after that the world will be different. Right. Don't know. Right. I don't know yeah. what happens past that point. Yeah. yeah. need to make that choice, yeah. Yeah, that's the last day for making a choice. I can say that in Corinthians, and I can we can quote the Hoppy. The Hoppy say they're like a puff of smoke. The smoke is there. You look away when you come back; they're gone. In Corinthians, which is in the Bible again, <clears throat> the line before "Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth." The line before tells you how it happens, and no one ever puts that in. In the line before, it talks about they that have got the place at the moment, the wrong ones, shall be there, you will look away, and when you look back, they will be gone. Now, I don't know how it works, okay? We don't know. But I do know one thing. I know the first ceremony worked. I know that worked because we've got so much proof. We've put it up on our website. Yeah. And I do know that all of the artifacts we've got have made it clear. They've told us this is where this came from. The same rocks that healed that person who limped in as a cripple and said they were about to end their life and walked away smiling, the same rocks have told us that that third ceremony, and we didn't know at the time there was a lunar eclipse for Uranus, did we? Yeah. No. We were told the third ceremony was the line in the sand where people have to commit themselves to the old way or take the new way. But I, I'd like to close with this. If you decide to take the new way, think about what you've adopted. Right. Panic. Fear, warfare, there's a new virus that's coming out every day. Apparently, we just got an announcement today about we've got to look out for not monkeypox, and they're talking about a vaccine for that. They're now talking about Japanese encephalitis has taken over. Every day now, every day there's bad news, and that's the road. That's the road you're choosing. And I can tell you something about that road. As we get closer, you look how much more bad news will be in that road. We just found out yesterday, Biden just said that if Taiwan, Taiwan gets invaded, we're in there. And I'm thinking, yeah, that, what they're saying to people is they're making people fearful. Yeah, they're making people fearful. They're making them scared of staying alive, of the person walking down the street might hurt you. They may be a terrorist. They may be a mad person. They may be carrying a disease. Who knows? And that is the way of is fear. They have no creation within them whatsoever because no. they don't believe in the light and because they're far away from that. Therefore, their heart chakra doesn't work and they can't create. Therefore, they can only control and destroy. Okay, so uh, yeah. I have uh, Kathy Mason said you guys are going to be on a show tomorrow called Consciousness Business Zone. Is that correct? Yeah, so, we've already recorded that, yes. Yeah. Okay, so uh, I don't know what time that's going to air, but I wanted to make sure that, because she put that up there, I wanted to make sure that you guys, uh, people that you're listening to this show now or watching this show, you guys can tune in. Do you know what time uh, uh, that that's going to air tomorrow? Uh, no. In the chat before I send yep. it to you. Uh, so I apologize. Look for that, guys. We'll figure it out. We'll throw it back into the chat. So check the chat after the show. And we'll we'll see if we have that in there. But if you don't know, if you know who that is, right? It's uh, Kathy Mason. Mason Works Marketing, and the show is Conscious Business Zone. 
and they're going to they're going to have a pre-recorded uh, a show that it sounds like you guys are going to be on tomorrow. That's I guess right. it's, uh, over here in America tomorrow or tomorrow in Australia. Either way, tomorrow tomorrow. Uh, <laughs> tomorrow tuning into the show, right? It depends on whether you're in the future or the past. I'm in California, so there's only Hawaii that's further in the past than I am from ever. <laughs> right? So TJ and I are back here in in uh, on the West Coast. Of you know, I don't know if you're in the same time zone that I'm in. I believe you are. Uh, you might be an hour ahead of me if that. So we're, we're I'm an hour ahead, I think. Yeah. Yeah. See, so I'm even further behind than you are in the past, yeah. right? So everything happens to us last. Yeah. <laughs> right? All right. I guys. wanted to uh, add something real quick. No, go ahead, please do, um, please do. And then, fact, please tell them where they can find you because most everybody, I think, knows where to find Stephen and Evan that are listening to my fans because I've had them on the show several times. But you're new here, so please also let people know where they can find you and your information as well. Oh yeah, sure. Um, I am still working on an official site because I kind of had to go underground for a bit being a mom and it just slipped away from me. But I'm on Instagram, tj.templeandterrain. That's a brand that I am building because my focus in my work right now is really, um, especially since I became a mom and awakening you know, to the lies of the world and having those conscious shifts is really focusing on ancient healing wisdom um, and that's mind, body, and spirit and combining it with, you know, new modern health solutions. I, I think this is a way forward, especially because part of this awakening and stepping into this dawn of this new age is really what I was going to add was um, the key, you know, the ankh, let's call it, to, to awakening, activating, and doing your best before that window let's say closes is to tap back into the sacred feminine which is what they not only you know went underground but they are doing everything they can to make sure you do not ever realize your power of that and that has nothing to do with feminism by the way it is if anything humanism because it's the balance of both the sacred and feminine sorry, the sacred masculine and the sacred feminine, the divine, uh, you know, feminine traits and masculine traits, that intrinsic intelligence within whatever, whether you're born male or female um, that we have, but the feminine intelligence deliberately has been expunged, marginalized and covered up as much as possible. And this is what connects us back to nature, to, you know, um, spirit to you know connecting with our even our animals um and 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 plants and just the earth but on top of that it's not that linear way of thinking it's cyclical it's it's circular which is what time is it's not linear i know we like to talk about timelines but really we're going through cycles of time and going back into it and that's a key and you can I feel like you can fast track yourself if you're able to um, to tap into that as much as possible, especially women, because they actually are the most um, they have been the most susceptible to the dumbing down. You know, we have to endure even that generational trauma of uh, of thousands of generations. For example, the witch hunts. And women making sure their children, their their daughters, don't tap into their intuition because you'll get killed, you'll get 
hung, you know, you'll be burned right. at the stake. Um, yeah, the witch's so, hammer. That was the book. Yeah, that and then I to, think this stifle is, women who were outspoken. I think that absolutely. women are more intuitive and more in tune and have been uh, grounded to the earth far more than men. And I think the reason for that for us is that us being the the warrior hunter gatherer, we had to compartmentalize and we lost our spirituality a lot quicker. And women were more uh, more in tune and always have been because of your nurturing goddess nature. And I think that's why the men had to stifle you guys and go after you. And they wrote the witch's hammer to stifle women because I believe this is my only belief. It's my opinion now. But looking at history, it was easier to dumb down men because you just taught them to kill. And they just became non-spiritual and followed in line and killed and murdered. Whereas women stayed at home and were teaching, at least in the, the Celtic uh, region, women stayed at home. And they were the ones who taught the, the everyone how to fight with swords and arrows and bows and, and farm. And they taught everybody everything while the men were off fighting in wars. And the women were stayed spiritual, so they had to shut them up. And that's yeah. why they've done this completely after women to dumb you guys down to get you as stupid as us. <laughs> and they've opinion. done it. They've done it with the help of uh, religions specifically yeah. as well. The yeah. monotheistic Corrupting the religions. religions. Yep. Like even if you're just looking again, I uh, mentioned that I was raised Catholic. I oh, had one yeah. of my biggest epiphanies yeah. in my life. It still makes me emotional when I think about it was when I realized um, the Holy Spirit is the holy mother goddess it's yeah. she's actually the holy mother spirit the mother was taken out of that and when you think of the holy trinity uh you yeah, know the original you... trinity let me let me cut in there the original trinity guys was not yeah. the father the son the holy spirit it was not in amani patri ifili spiritu sancti it was not the original trinity was the father the mother and the son and they became the the trinity it was not yes. the father the son and the holy spirit meaning the father and son are one it was the mother father and then the son and that is became the one that was the original trinity and that's in the dead sea scrolls you can read that in almost every scroll that's why they didn't want us to know that knowledge so to, if you yeah. guys think that tj's just making it up because oh she's a woman and she's going to say that it's the goddess no 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 that's the books they took out of the bible because they didn't want you to know about it Oh, absolutely. The Council of Nicaea, where a group of men decides, okay, what's going to be in the Bible? Yep. Um, and let's remove, you know, the Gnostic yeah. gospel. Take out the book of and, truth first, because that tells about Jesus and the creation from the beginning of, of time with the androgynous creator. <laughs> That's both yes. male and female. Let's get rid of that one right straight away. And then let's do it. Yeah, right. So put that back up there on the screen. Uh, I'm going to put that on a bar. Yeah, let me bring, bring it the up. Nag Hammadi. There Library. You, go. you guys and, and I've oh, always you guys want to talk about that, that over and over. Specifically, the if you can uh, look at that, that has all of the teachings in it from the the Dead Sea Scrolls. So, but I would suggest you also read each individual scroll, and then maybe go and pick up the the um, the Colburn Bible uh, or the Colbrin Bible, which is a Scottish Bible that has the scrolls that came out of uh, during the Exodus out of Egypt that tells about the day, two deluges or two destructions of the earth 
prior to the deluge and prior to the one that Stephen and Evan talked about at 75,000 years ago with the volcano, there was one before that even, then which brought the moon into play because, uh, because of blowing up Moldek and that whole war that we're not going to get into because we don't have time here. <laughs> right? But if, if you go back and, and look at Stephen and Evan's stuff and their investigations and their book, they, they talk about it there. And if you look at the different shows and the different things they've talked about in the last five years, you will have all that information. Stephen and Evan and I have had long conversations about this on this show a few times about that. So if you guys look at that, that's the knowledge that was taken from us and eradicated when they burned down uh, Alexandria and when they hit everything in the Vatican, which TJ uh, alluded to very beginning of the show when we talked all of the knowledge that we were supposed to have about who we are and what we are that Stephen and Evan was talking about earlier and what I alluded to. All of that was taken from us on purpose so that we wouldn't know this because they wanted to control us and that's what they have been doing but their reign is over the devil was unleashed on the earth for a time that time has ended so those of you who are like oh no the world is really bad and nope it's them throwing a fit like uh, like steven said they're they're trying to destroy everything to make us suffer because they know we're seeing them and choosing the right path okay i'm going to leave it there because we're way over. I was only going to go an hour and a half. Here it's 8 p.m. I still have to feed my mother. So I apologize to my mother in advance for not getting her dinner until after 8 p.m. But I, if I could, we should have started earlier because I would love to have this go on for another two hours, right? So Stephen and Evan, you know I love you guys. Uh, we're on the same, you know, we've been working the same mission since we met. Uh, TJ, I'm glad I met you because uh, I'm going to have to have you on the show as well. And, uh, you know, it, it, so we can talk. Because it, obviously the reason that Stephen and Evan are working with you and having you on the conference is that you're on the same mission that we are. Uh, and that is the same mission that there's millions of us on the world and even billions for those of you who are wondering because we've stayed hidden for so long on this planet. The Bards and the Hopi and the and the, the Vikings and the original people from from uh, Australia and those with the bloodline, the royalty bloodline who spent our entire lives learning this information because we came here on a mission all of this is now able for us to show you because it is time they can't stop us anymore because they're at the end of their days and their ropes. And all you guys have to do is remember that. And we will be just fine going forward. Watch the conference coming up. Let me put that up really quickly one more time. Guys, come and watch this. Let me make sure I get the right one. Do I have the right one that I'm putting up? And uh, yes, I do. So uh, 28th of May, 4 p.m. if you're in Los Angeles, 7 p.m. if you're in New York in the United States, the 29th of May, 7 a.m. Perth time, 9 a.m. Melbourne time if you're in Australia. And that is our Alien Ancestor Overseas Ways Chapter 20 online conference. I put uh, the link in the chat twice at the beginning and here at the, at the end for you guys to be able to click on that and it'll take you to their website so the, or to the site where you can then click on that and make sure that you're there to watch this conference because the information that we gave you are really good juicy details here, but there's going to be even more than that because trust me, if you guys have ever watched any of these conferences, you know that even the stuff we talk about on these shows is this much of the iceberg uh, that, that all the rest of it's underneath. And that gets brought out during these conferences. And then the workshops that happen after that. And I know you guys have one coming up in June. Is that correct? The workshop coming up yeah. in June. So I think I have that. Let me see if I can. I have that here somewhere. Let me find out which one it is. I don't know what the names of them are. Do I have the right one up here? Is that That's it? That's the right one. There it is right there. Saturday the 4th and Sunday the 5th of June, right? Are the alien ancestor above and below? Is that the conference or is that a, a one. workshop? 
Thank uh, that's you. the workshop. Yeah, that's the workshop. Following. Okay, there you yeah. go, guys. So for those of you on the MP3 file, 4 p.m. Uh, on the 4th, I'm sorry, and the 5th of June starting uh, at 1 p.m. Let's see. Wait a minute. No, 9 a.m. Day 1, Session 1, 9 a.m. to 12.30. Day 2, Session uh, – uh, no, I'm sorry. I'm going out of order. Day <laughs> Session 2, 1 p.m. to 4.30 p.m. Day two, session three, which would be session one for the second day, session three overall for the weekend, 9 a.m. to 12.30 p.m., session four, 1 p.m. to 4.30. Again, our alien ancestry as above, so below, workshop. And you guys can get tickets for that. It is online at ouralienancestry.net, .net, .net. Go there and you can get your tickets to take part in this workshop that they have that they're putting on. All right. So, uh, oops, I didn't take that down. Hold on. Let me take that down so we're not uh, staring at just that. All right. So, uh, TJ, thank you again for being here to promote this. Stephen and Evan, as always, thank you for being here to promote this. I'm glad that I got to help you. Check the show tomorrow that they're going to be on. I'm sure they'll do a show or two before the conference. They usually try to get in, I don't know, one a day and, and go through the whole week to promote it. I'm sure you guys are busy every day doing that. Right. So, guys, uh, you, those of you who are my fans, check this out. You guys know that we've been working with Stephen and Evan for five, seven, ten years now, close to that. Uh, so make sure that you guys are uh, paying attention to their information because you heard it here. If you're a fan of mine and you follow me or you're uh, you know involved in my teachings, you're hearing Stephen and Evan and TJ echoing everything that I say. One of the girls said that in the chat. Leo always says that, referring to something Stephen said. And I was like, of course, because we're on the same path and we know the same knowledge. It's not like we make this up and get together and go, what are we going to say on Tuesday? We just, <laughs> we just know this because we've learned it. And TJ, that's why I was, when TJ started up with that, I was like, oh, I got to talk to her more because she want to pick her brain too. All right, guys. So uh, we love you guys. Share this out, share this out, share this out. And they love it when I say that. Share this out, share this out, share this out. Right? So, guys, have a great night. Ryan Rising. I am your host, Leonard O'Neill. Good morning. Good afternoon, good evening, or good morrow, depending on where in the world you are tuning into the show. You guys have a great night. I will see you guys on Wednesday. I should be uh, back live on Skull Island on Wednesday, and then I'll be back Friday on Orion Rising to do my normal uh, spiritual um, rant on, <laughs> on Friday. All right, so you guys have a great day. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye. Thank you.